When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sure. So my name is Kirsten Lippmann, and I breed Belgian Treviren. Um, I started out with dogs as a kid. I, I always loved animals, always wanted a dog. And we adopted my first dog when I was in third grade from the Humane Society. And she was really interesting mix. She was a old English sheepdog, and now I think she was mixed with Pitbull. So she had the shaggy coat. She kind of looked like Lady and the Tramp. She looked like the Tramp. <laughs> and lady and the tramps she was she was a fun dog she had all the now that i know more about dogs she had the pit bull traits of like loving to tug and she would hang from the space trolley we had and fly back and forth um but she was a very gentle sweet dog she was great with all our other animals we had chickens and cats and um she's a good dog she wasn't super trainable very stubborn i'm sure i could train her better now that i know more about dog training but at the time, the trainer we went to was the Yank and Crank kind of Kohler style, and that didn't work real well for, for Maggie. Mm-hmm. So she was my first dog, and I, I really, you know, she's a great dog. She did a lot of stuff with us. Um, and then, of course, as I as I was an adult, I adopted my own personal first dog um, from the pound as well. And he was, uh, that was the Alaska pound. So he was a, um, he was a huge white dog with a black mask, and I never figured out what mix he was, but... Uh, he was the, the first dog I had who was just very, very intelligent, extremely loyal and protective. At the same time, he was balanced. He was totally safe to take anywhere, but he would protect me for real if, if I needed it. And he proved that a few times. I was doing a lot of field work at the time out in the West for biologists. So I was like a wildlife biologist and I did a lot of field work on my own. And he was just an amazing companion to have out there. Uh, so I was really lucky to have him because he was just a, you know, just a dog I got as a one-year-old from the pound, adopted him. Um, so he's kind of my first real dog. And then I uh, happened across, the, the way I got into Shepherds, I was in graduate school in Southern Illinois, and I happened across a, uh, a stray, there was a national forest down there uh, where a lot of people would dump dogs, which was terrible, but... Um, I happened to find a stray German Shepherd who was super skinny and just running wild, um, running wild. She wasn't wild, but she was running loose. So I grabbed her and took her home, looked really hard for the owner, never found them. And, and that German Shepherd, Tessa, was just amazing. She was just an amazing balanced dog, beautiful, sweet. Um, just had a great time getting to know her and decided I wanted to get into Shepherds. And that's kind of why I went with my first Malinois. And, um, she happened to be the long coat variety of Malinois. And so she started me on my journey towards the Treviren, which are in essence, long coated Malinois. So, um, kind of built off of that and got my first Malinois 10 years ago and haven't looked back. <laughs> so that's, uh, progressed towards, uh, breeding. My first litter was with Abby actually five years ago. And then, uh, I had my second litter out of my turbulent um last uh october so i haven't bred all that many litters i'm planning to breed more but you gotta take it slow to get to know the breed it's a really um very very important to choose good breeding stock when you're going into a breed like this so i've taken my time <laughs>
Oh, yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, they pretty much check all my boxes for what I want in a dog. They're extremely smart. I really like a smart dog. They're very loyal. Um, they want to please you. And they're very versatile. They can, I, they're athletic, so they can climb and run mountains. I, I'm a mountain runner, so I do a lot of hiking and running. So they can keep up with that. They can keep up with the bike. Um, and they also just can do, um, and the special thing, in my opinion, that makes the Belgian Malinois different than, say, a Border Collie, is that they can do that protection work. They have the balanced, um, stable temperament to be able to uh, switch drives so they can safely be protection dogs while at the same time safely going out in public. So that clear head and those that drive switch is what really makes the Malinois and the dogs I breed, or the Belgian Trivira now, uh, just a special breed to me. And I also find them to be the long-coated dogs are just gorgeous. They're beautiful dogs. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a prettier dog breed out there. So <laughs> that's part of part of the appeal <clears throat> for me of the long-coated variety there. Mm -hmm. They're just really beautiful. <laughs> so it's an interesting history. They come from, I don't know if this history as well as maybe I should, but they come from the Trevuren region of Belgium. So it's the, I think it's the town of Trevuren, just like the town of Malinois is where the Malinois originates. So it's a town in Belgium where the dogs supposedly first showed up. And so what happens with the Belgian varieties in Europe is you have the four varieties of Belgians. You have the black long-coated dog, the Gronendal, um, the Malinois, which is your typical short-coated Belgian, and then your Turburin, which is the long-coated. And then they have the Lycanwall, which is the curly-coated, kind of like an Airedale, which is very rare. You don't see many of those. So the variety of Turburin originated in the city of Turburin, uh, they were basically all-purpose farm dogs originally. You know, they'd guard the livestock, guard the farm, go out and do the herding with the, um, you know, if they had herding stock. Um, so basically eliminate pests. So basically all-purpose farm dogs. Um, military started using the Malinois and Trevurin, um pretty early on just because of their trainability and ability to protect. So um, they've done, obviously been used for police and military work. Um, more recently and then uh of course people who have the dogs do any number of dog sports with them um disc dog agility um the mondio psa schutzens and uh french and french ring um of course they all excel in those uh disciplines as well so more recently they've been selectively bred into different varieties some of them more suitable for police some more suitable for sport um and then of course you have the whole different avenue, which I haven't gone into, which is the show lines. So the show lines of those are, of course, bred for completely different purposes than the than the sporting dogs, the working mm -hmm. lines. Mm -hmm. So there has been a big split there. So, yeah. So what's what I should get into first is that, and I mentioned this briefly. I should have been more clear. In Europe, um, for example, two short coated Malinois can carry the long coated gene, mm -hmm. so it's a recessive gene, just a typical recesses so a quarter of the puppies would be long coated in a you know average situation if you have two carriers bred together so if a quarter of the litter comes out with the long coat gene those dogs in europe will be registered as turburin variety um so that's totally fine um so you know you can have the malinois variety have puppies that are of the turbulent variety so the split isn't quite as big so in that case there's really no difference mm -hmm. in the traits of the long coat versus the short coat it's just 
you know, a small difference in coat type and the bloodlines, whatever they were blood uh, bred for will be the same. So, you know, siblings will be very similar except for a difference in coat. Um, but then you come over to the United States and the AKC recognizes the Trevurin and the Malinois is completely different breeds. So like my Malinois Abby, she was out of two short coated Malinois that were imported from Europe, but she was born in the United States. So she's got actually a longer coat than my registered Trevurin, but she is registered as Malinois. So the AKC does not recognize a long coated puppy born to Malinois parents as a Trevurin. It's, it has to be a Malinois. So that's where that split comes in. And that's why it's really tricky to breed the working Trevurin in the United States, because there's so few of them registered as Trevurin under the AKC guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, in Europe, we're in Europe, you have a lot more working Trevurin because it's much easier to register a dog as a Trevurin. Um, because it's fairly common to have that long coat chain pop up in <clears throat> Malinois lines, especially certain certain bloodlines, KNPV tend to throw them a lot more than others. Um, but there's different bloodlines that produce that. So that's what's going on with that. So the differences in traits, the result of whatever you know the parents were bred for, whatever the breeder is hoping to produce, the long coat gene itself doesn't really, in my opinion, I haven't seen it carry any specific traits with it. Um, it's just the variety in the coat. So what's happened in the United States is there's this big split in the turbulent. Of course, you have a lot of show line turbulent that look quite a bit different and act quite a bit different than your working line turbulent. Working line turbulent, especially the ones I breed, are just essentially out of Malinois bloodlines and essentially long-coated Malinois mm-hmm. in, in states. So it's all, it's all you know, dependent on the bloodlines you're breeding more than just the, you know, the code type in specific. So it's basically, like I said, what I'm producing is basically a long-coated mm-hmm. Malinois that's registered as Trevurin. And I think some people are kind of biased against the long coat. I've heard that from the European breeder I got um, my my Trevurin out of, um, and she actually breeds for police and military certification dogs. So she's one of the only breeders that is producing those dogs. Trevurin in Europe who get the PH1 certificate, which is that step towards um, towards police certification. But um, what she says is that people are biased against the long coat, I think because they look softer. Um, they don't think they're as tough dogs. And some breeders do select for softer traits to get either just because they don't think they'll be able to sell the dogs to working homes or because they want to go a different direction. Maybe they want to breed dogs for, I don't know, uh, agility versus um, a protection sport or police. So it can go down that road of creating softer terrain, which perpetuates the idea that they may not be as well suited for uh, police or military um, or protection sports, whatever that may be. But um if you do breed strong bloodlines to strong bloodlines, regardless of code type, you will get those strong Trevurin. Um, as far as like, oh, let's, you know, we live in a Norway, maybe it's colder. Maybe we should get the longer coat variety. Um, anecdotally, I might see a little bit of that. Um, at the same time, you can run into snowballing issues with the longer coat because they get a little bit of fur between the paws. So you have to trim that. So if you are in a snowy climate, you might have a little bit more work to do as far as grooming the dog goes. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a mixed bag, I would say. Um, 
and heat tolerance isn't I mean, it depends on the coat a little bit but a lot of it just depends on the dog himself or herself it's a variety between individuals a lot that i've seen with the heat tolerance so yeah if you're sending a dog to like the middle east maybe a malinois with their shorter coat maybe better suited but you could also have a trevuran with a longer coat who just tolerates the heat better so it's kind of a mixed a mixed bag there yeah yeah they don't want to deal with the longer coat although my breeding female her coat is just a single coat versus the double coat of my akc malinois mm-hmm. which is long coat malinois it's funny because she has the thickest coat and she's technically a malinois and my trevuran has this like easy ready to go like no grooming required single coat it's longer she's of course a trevuran but it's like she's the easiest grooming dog i have she sheds less than my actual malinois with the short coat but uh yeah i think there is that preference towards the shorter coat i think it's you know maybe a little bit of bias and maybe they just haven't had experience with a you know a strong working long coat turbulent mm-hmm. and then of course here i mean if you're getting a mal, if you're breeding in the united states and you produce a long coat malinois it's still going to be a malinois so there's that too so it's a it's a it's a complicated situation <laughs> with our turbulent over here there's very very separate varieties really as far as show line and working line at this point especially in the united states so it's basically different dogs completely oh yeah yeah so the show line i'm not sure i have to ask someone when that split happened um and of course there are show lines in europe as well and some breeders are breeding a little bit of show line with working line turbulent to try to for whatever reason, maybe it's structure, maybe it's appearance. So they are kind of combining the two. So working in, in show line combined with mixed results. Some are good, some aren't so good. Um, I'm not sure when the split happened. It's just gotten more extreme as most breeds have from that point onward because of AKC kind of with the show varieties looking for that more extreme body type or a more extreme coat or head or whatever it might be. So it's taken off yeah i would say in the mid-70s that's like got wider these days you rarely see a show line doing schutzend or certainly police work military you might never see a show line in military or police work i i, I personally never have uh, i've seen some show lines doing like schutzend um but it's very very limited and so most of your showline turbulent um, are doing things like maybe herding, herding sheep, or search and rescue, um, possibly you know disc sport and you know, non-protection sports. In general, they're pretty soft dogs, so they can't tolerate pressure. They wouldn't be good protection dogs necessarily. And then their body type has changed and their coat, like I said, got so much longer, it almost makes them more difficult to work with that long coat. And then their bone structure got lighter, more like a collie. So they're not as sturdy dogs as they used to be. Uh, So there's a big, and their heads got thinner, their noses got more collie-like. If you look at a show line now, it just, you know, I would say they're more collie-like than they used to be even a decade ago. So they've been bred for that look, not for their workability. And when you start doing that, you'll get the look you want, but you'll lose that that workability and the nerve. That's so important for that workability. So that split is just getting wider and wider. 
Um, and then the other problem you see, and this is, I'm not super familiar with the show lines, but I do know they carry a lot of uh, like seizure issues, eye issues. And I think it's mostly seizures and eyes that I've heard about. So there are health issues associated with it. Um, and you get that with any narrow gene pool, but it's it's a problem in the, in the show line turgorin for sure. Yeah, there's different rumors about way back mixing in a little bit of bull breed, maybe a little bit of shepherd. Uh, going back in the breed creation, I've heard a lot more of that kind of outcrossing happening in the KNPV lines, which are the Dutch police lines than in any others. And you kind of see that. You good? I was looking at my dog now, my Sirius out there, and he's out of Abby, who's a 62-pound Malinois. She's the long coat, Mm -hmm. and he's 100 pounds. Um, And he was out of two about 62-pound parents. So that tells you, and they're both KNPV line. So it tells you there might be something bigger (laughs) back there introduced in the bloodline at some point. Maybe a shepherd, you know, was thrown in there way back in the bloodlines. Um, And some KNPV dogs aren't even purebred. They've got... You know, they're not registered under any uh, purebred registry. They've got whatever might be in there, maybe some duchy, maybe some pit bull, some shepherd, um, maybe a bigger breed even mixed in. So the KNPV can be either a purebred dog under the FCI or just kind of a mixed breed. That's for workability purposes. So there can be some of that mixed in there. And then other lines, you really don't see that a whole lot. It's probably pretty much pure from the original lines, like the French lines. Uh, some, some of the Belgian lines, uh, it's pretty much, you know, selectively bred from more or less the original dogs, maybe some shepherd thrown in there way back, but, you know, German shepherd. But if you look at the photos, I want to say like early 1900s of the German shepherd and a Malinois, mm-hmm. they're so much more similar yeah. looking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like they don't have that heavier build. They're taller, just like a Malinois. And the Malinois also aren't as extremely Malinois-ish. They're, they're just, they look very similar. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was crossbreeding back in the, back in the early 1900s, because there really wasn't a ton of difference between the two breeds until later. And they're both very recent breeds, really, in the history of breeds. They're not old breeds. They're, I don't remember when the German Shepherd came about, but what is it, like early 1900s, I think? Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're both very, very recent. And both bred to, of course, work for people and work with people very specifically. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of similarities in the German Shepherd and Malinois, especially certain bloodlines and and types. So, yeah, back in the day, there was probably some of that. And then if you look at some of the KNPV line, uh, I think it's mostly KNPV line Malinois these days. I mean, you can see some of them, especially the ones that aren't of the pure variety, clearly have some sort of bully breed in there or something else going on. And you can tell by the way they look. So it just depends on your lines and your breeder and what your purpose is. And there's a whole lot of variety. <laughs> yeah, so what, right now my female that I'm breeding, she's KNPV. Her dad is a PH1, which is that certification in uh, Europe or mostly the Netherlands for uh, a police dog. So PH1 is pretty difficult to get. You have to be a very strong working dog to get that certification. So the sire of my breeding female is a working police dog in Europe. Um, and then her dam comes out of 
similar lines. So it's mostly KNPV, some Schutzen type dogs in there. But I, I would say on, on the whole, she's a KNPV line dog. So that means, um, and there's variety within KNPV too, but in general, the KNPV lines are strong working dogs with strong nerve um, and a nice social switch. So I very specifically asked the breeder for a dog that could go anywhere, do anything, be social with people and dogs, and also have the capacity to work. Mm-hmm. So I wanted that balance in the dog. And that's partly why I sought those particular lines, because I really liked her, I think it's her grandfather. And he was PH12, and he was just a great working dog. He could go out and do his thing on the protection field and then lie down and roll around with the little kids watching. So I just really love to see that switch in the dog, mm-hmm. that clear-headed uh, switch that the dogs can can have. So um, selected those lines specifically for her. So she's out of KNPV mostly, a little bit of, what else is in there? Oh, there's a little bit of um, ring out of Belgium as well, a little bit of a ring dog, ring lines. So that's a Belgian ring. But so, um, and what else? Oh, and then the the sire I bred her too. Uh, he's out of a. And I'm gonna butcher the name of this kennel, but it's a Czech kennel that's pretty well known for producing really nice working turbiran. And it's D E A B E I. I pronounce it Devi. Mm-hmm. Could be totally wrong, but uh, she produces just very balanced, very nice working dogs, very strong dogs. Um, and so this uh, sire is super, super social, like friendly to people and dogs. You can take him anywhere. And then when he's working, he's just all business and he's got great drives, nice balance, clear head. So I really like him. Uh, great bloodlines. So um, so I selected him for the sire and he produced really nicely with Mariah. So it worked out really well. He's not KNBV. He's um, a mix of Belgian ring with mostly Schutzen dogs. Okay. Uh, so that produces, that breeder does a lot of that. She does a lot of uh, ring dogs on one side, like the sire or the dam, and then a lot of dogs titled in Schutzen on either the, you know, the other side for mm-hmm. her breedings. Mm-hmm. And I think that produces a nicely balanced dog. So you have a lot of that, the prey drive that you need for the work and also some of that defense drive that you need to be, you know, doing Schutzen or police work. So it it produces really nicely balanced dogs that are also, in general, from what I've seen, extremely social. So they're social and safe in public and in the house, and they, they get the job done for sports. So it has very nice drives. So it's a nice a nice balance there that she's got. And she's in the Czech Republic. So. My dog was imported from the Netherlands, and the, the sire was imported from the Czech Republic. Awesome. So every day we do a lot of hiking and trail running, just training for fun. Um, and I'm doing Schutzen with both. Mariah, who's my breeding female, and her daughter, Sassy. So I go to the Schutzen Club almost every weekend, every other weekend, and we do obedience, protection, and tracking with the club. So we get to train with a group of, of other people, and it's really helpful to have other people watch you train, give you tips, work with a group, and and also work the dogs around all the distractions that are at a club. So mm-hmm. so I'm pursuing Schutzen with, um, with the two breeding potential breeding females the puppy is still only eight months old so but Schutzen is our sport it's a lot harder I don't know if you've looked into it in this country but there's just a lot fewer opportunities for anything like Mondio ring or French ring the driving distance and costs associated would be super high so uh, Schutzen is definitely the most available like of the sports for protection in this country so 
it's a good option to have. Right. Have it's you... also cool because the three, it has obedience, protection, and tracking. So it's got a lot of, it's just a very difficult sport to do well in all three phases. So it's a challenge for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely in part because, like I said, you know, if you want a really focused dog that's going to be super obedient and athletic, you could go with a variety of other breeds. Like, for example, of course, the Border Collie. But I like that that ability to do protection and be under control while doing it. So Schutzen offers the opportunity to train your dog to a super high level. Um, you don't see, I mean, if you go to the Schutzen Club, you will see dogs trained to an incredible high level of precision and obedience. It's amazing to see the best dogs out there do their thing. Um, and then also it gives you the opportunity to bring out those drives that were bred into the dog and see what the dog is really made of. So it's your chance to test the dog, see what you're breeding, see what you're producing. And that's where protection comes in because that's where you really see whether you have a dog capable of doing the work they were bred for or not. So that's an important component of being a breeder of this type of dog is to make sure you're testing your own breeding stock and what you're producing. And that's the way to do it. I mean, there's very few other avenues to see that part of the dog unless you're doing a protection sport with that dog. So that's part of the reason I got into it. But I also just, it's just that the level of obedience and communication you build with your dog through doing the sport is incredible. And the the tracking is a whole other thing entirely too. You get to see the dog that's where the dog is thinking for him or herself and um, just using their, their dog senses that we don't have to, to do the job that you've, you know, it's a sport, so it's a very methodical, method, methodical track, but it's just really cool to see the dog, dog's brain work and their nose work at the same time and, and build that level of drive and precision. Yeah. So that's what really attracts me to Schutzen more than some of the other sports. It's very... It's very German, <laughs> I say. It's very precise and very defined what they want to see. Mm-hmm. You know exactly how to get a high score and what they're looking for. And and it's just, it's very, I'm very, you know, it's just a great thing to do with a dog. To see what you have and build that relationship. And you can have a variety of breeds in Schutzen. I mean, I don't just see the, the German Shepherd and Malinois. I've seen, um, of course, Doberman. And then sometimes a Bouvier comes, so. You get a little bit of that breed variety, which is cool to see. Yeah, for sure. What's what's the most interesting uh, breed that you've seen? Uh, probably personally is the Bouvier because they're not that common, um, and they've definitely got a different energy than the, you know, than a shepherd. It's a different dog. They have different drives and a different base for where those drives are coming from. Mm-hmm. So that was cool to see. Yeah, and that's a lot of what it is. I mean. A lot of what Shizen is is just that super high level training of the dog and you can look pretty decent on the protection field until you get to those, like you said, like regionals or nationals. But many dogs can do fairly well if they have a little bit of that prey and you build up that barking and they learn how to bark and <laughs> have a decent grip. The grips are obviously a big deal in Shizen, so you want that full mouth grip and that's really a genetic thing. Yeah. But yeah, you could get, you know, you could probably pass. <laughs> a level one if you were a really good trainer with a decent dog so it's it's fun to see those other breeds do it it's it's always interesting it's so much work and time most people you know aren't going to do it unless they have a breed that's fairly well genetically suited for it right like i said it's the way to see what you're producing what kind of dog you have and just test 
to who they are, <laughs> see what they're bringing out, bring out different things in them and, and work with those things. But it's, it's challenging, definitely. <laughs> it's not an easy sport. Right. <laughs> yeah, at this point, since I'm, you know, I've started a couple of dogs in it now, I'd like to title at the club level at least, so get at least my IGP one with both females. And then, you know, build off of that, see what, as my breedings go, if I have a really nice male, it would be awesome if he could go to regionals or nationals or even a female. Um, but as a fairly new handler, it's probably not, well, it could happen with my young female, but yeah, in the future, I'd love to go a little farther if I could like go to nationals or regionals. Um, but at this point, yeah, my goal is to title the dogs and then go from there. (laughs) So if I get my IGP one on both, I'll, I'll be very, very happy. Or even three up to three. It's really not too much of a, um, I mean, there's some obviously additional components, but from the IGP one to three, it's not a huge, a huge leap, Mm -hmm. um, to get to those second and third levels. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that is making sure you fulfill their energy needs and their needs for interaction with you in training. So I do a lot of that by like, I'll get up early in the morning and take them for a run in the morning before work, for example, and then I'll train each of them individually. And it doesn't take a ton of time. You could spend five minutes a day, twice a day training the dog. And if you do it right, they'll be pretty happy. And that's probably all you really need to do unless you're doing tracking, which takes, that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you definitely need to put in the time to get that exercise in whatever form you choose. And then to make sure they get that training for their their mind and that they love to bite and tug. So you got to fulfill those drives in a way that you want them to be filled. So that could be discs, it could be tug play, maybe game of fetch, that type of thing. Um, that's what I say a lot is that if you don't find a way to satiate that drive in the dogs, they'll find a way to do it themselves. So you want to make sure you direct that energy into something that you find useful or at least good that the dog can do with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they need to work with you. These dogs crave that interaction. They want to be with their person. They want to work with their person. So you, you have to give them the time. And if you can't give them the time, you shouldn't get this breed. It's just going to be not fun for either of you. And they, are a breed that requires that training and socialization young as well. So you got to get them out when they're puppies to see things and do things in a good way that feels safe to them. And if you don't, you know, you'll be building up a dog that may not be social in public and things like that. So that early training is just really important for all dogs, but especially for Malinois, German Shepherd, uh, that type of breed, you got to get them out socializing mm-hmm. when they're young. Mm-hmm. So it's a time commitment. It's a time and energy commitment. It goes both ways, which is really interesting when I think about it for the Malinois and Tuberin, because like I said, they're the way I breathe them, they're almost the same thing. Uh, So Malinois tend to go one way or another when you're not breeding carefully, or maybe you just happen to select two great dogs to be sire and dam, and they end up producing differently than you'd expect it. And what happens is they tend towards being very reactive to strangers or anything they see mm-hmm. and or aggressive, so forward aggressive. So they're bred to go towards a threat, not run away from one. So you'll you'll have a problem if your dog is thinking that everything it sees is a threat and that it needs to eliminate that threat. So that's one way you could go. Um, and then the other way you can go is 
rather than having a dog that's kind of forward and kind of a liability to take out, you'll get a very soft dog that's very nervy and is afraid of everything and uh, very shy and not social, um, just a very skittish, shy dog. So you go those two extremes, kind of. They're, they almost sound like they're the opposite thing, but they're not really. One dog is going toward, basically they're both afraid of things they shouldn't be afraid of. So they lack that confidence to be able to deal with the world. So you'll have one dog that's just like, ah, reactive to everything. This world's really scary. And the, and I'm going to run towards it barking. And on the other end, you have a dog, oh, I'm scared of everything. This world's really scary. I'm going to run away and I'm going to tuck my tail and I'm going to hide. So either one you don't want. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get when you're not careful with your breeding. And that's not only true of Malinois and Turburin, but German Shepherds and some other similar breeds. Mm-hmm. So that's where you got to be real careful. Oh, yeah. So so those are the extremes. But a well-bred, what first really drew me to the breed was their ability. I think I've mentioned before that clear head is what I call it. Mm-hmm. So that ability of the dog to work in protection, get the job done wherever it might be. Maybe they're military police. Maybe they're a sport dog. Turn on that drive. Be serious in the work. Be all in. And then second or two later, go off to the sidelines and be ready to socialize with kids, families, people, other, not usually other dogs, but just be ready to be social and be totally safe in that situation. So that switch in drives and that clear head, that's what really draws me to the breed, their ability to work in protection, work in what they were bred to do, and then go off and be social when that's called for. So that's what, that's the beauty of the breed. That's a, that's the beauty of a well-bred a Turbure or Malinois is that beautiful switch. And you see that in quite a few dogs. So it's certainly there. But the other thing that really draws me to the shepherd is their eagerness to do whatever you want. They want to work with you. They want to work for you. They're eager to do what you want. They're very compliant. Mm-hmm. So they want to, they want to train with you. They're super eager to train with you. Mm-hmm. And so working with them is really easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I do um, just naturally a lot of ski joring, so that's where the dog pulls you on skis because I'm a skier and I lived in Alaska, so I've done that um, fairly competitively. So that's kind of a completely different sport than Schutzen, but it's fun to do with the Malinois. They'll give it their all, and you may not win, but you'll have fun out there. (laughs) Um, And then as far as other protection sports go... I would love to do Mondio. It's a, it's very different from Schutzen, but there just really isn't the, um, there just aren't any clubs nearby, and the possibility of getting quality training is, is going to be a real challenge. So, I'd love to try it at some point, but um, at this point, as far as protection sports go, it's definitely Schutzen for me. Um, other sports you can do, or you can do anything with the dogs. I will probably try dog diving with my younger female. And that's pretty easy to, to do because it's pretty accessible. Uh, and that's really fun. And then there's always the opportunity to do, there's a bunch of nose work trials that a lot of people do with their dogs. But uh, honestly, I mean, if you're doing Schutzen and you're titling, that's going to take up most of your training time. It's an everyday thing to get your dog ready for that, especially with those three phases and the tracking component. It takes a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like to have the females be at least 50 pounds and up so like 50 to 65 mm-hmm. or so for the females males i like to see them be at least 55 to upwards you know they can be 80 and that's okay so 55 to 80 there can be a wider spread there for the males 
<clears throat> the sire of the litter was about 80, I think. Um, Height-wise, like females to be over 23 inches. I think that is breed standard as well. And males, <clears throat> they can be anywhere from 24 to 26, 27. Uh, females can, they usually go from 22 and a half to say 24 generally for females mm-hmm. and males are about yeah like i said like 23 to like 26 27 so they're pretty you know medium large size dog very athletic if you look so there's a lot of variety in different dogs even in the litter and in different bloodlines of Kerberin. um sometimes you can see the backs get a little bit too long uh so i want to see the backs not be you know it's not extreme, but they're just a little bit longer than it's fitting for the breed. They are supposed to be kind of a square dog, so as tall as they are long, ideally. <laughs> and then coloring, I like to have that rich red mahogany coloring. Um, so you see that kind of like red in the coat? Mm-hmm. And then a black mask with black ticking down the chest and legs. Mm-hmm. So that's what I prefer as far as physical characteristics go, but there's going to be variety in all dogs, so... Um, there's a little bit of variety allowed within that, but usually that black mask and black ears are, are required. Or it's not required, I should say, just part of what makes the breed what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you have a litter, say in the near future, who would be a good fit for your dog and who wouldn't be and why? Yeah, so I, I'm very careful screening owners because of the complications in placing this dog in the right home. So a good fit is someone, you know, in a perfect world, you'd have someone who's experienced with the breed or similar breeds and has done stuff with them like Schutzen or another sport. So they're very familiar with working the dogs. Um, But it doesn't have to be that they had experience as long as they're open and willing to learn and have a trainer or group they're going to be working with with the puppy. So one of my requirements as a breeder, and I've built this off of some other breeders I know who have similar lines or dogs who they they sell, and um, just my own experience, is that you either have to have experience with the breed or you need to be working with a trainer or a group who does have experience with the breed. Mm -hmm. So that's that's critical. I mean, if you don't know this breed, it's going to be a shock. So those are kind of uh, un unbudgeable requirements unless there's a special circumstance of some kind because you'd need to know what you're getting um and then a good type of home is someone who's very active and already active so the the lifestyle will fit the dog um so someone who likes hiking someone who likes doing dog sports agility um and so they want to be active with the dog and already has the time for the dog uh kids are fine two of my puppies went to homes with kids no problem the parents are in charge of the dog but the dog is fine with the kids. Um, but the parents are the ones who know the breed and how to keep them happy and things like that. Um, so that's the kind of person who's really going to enjoy this type of dog, someone who's very interested in dog training, dog behavior, a very active person, and someone who wants to do something with the dog, not just have a pet, you know, do a sport, do an activity with the dog, um, and is really seeking that kind of uh, work that the dog will need. Mm-hmm. So someone who isn't a good fit is someone who has no experience with this breed and thinks because they've owned a dog in the past, they're going to know how to deal with this type of dog. Um, someone who's not active and not interested in spending a lot of time working with the dog and, and uh, 
maybe someone who's not open and willing to learn because every dog's going to be different, even if it's the same breed. You can have different challenges or differences in the same litter and within the same breed. So you got to be adaptable and willing to learn as you go with all dogs, but especially with this breed. So if you don't know, <laughs> if you don't know how to do something, you got to be willing and open to seeking help mm-hmm. and figuring it out. So adaptability, willing to go with the flow, and active lifestyle are all really important. And ideally, I like to sell at least two of the pups in the litter to a home that will do, you know, protection sport with the dog, like Shilton or something like that. Right. Ideally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two major or three major things that I look for in the, actually, I should say four now, uh, in the breeding stock. And that's, of course, hips and elbows. You do mostly the OFA or pen hip for those. And most of the time, those are going to be very good in the working lines. Um, so not really a huge concern. You just do want to test those. And then there's now a genetic test for what's called the SDCA1 and 2 gene. Um, and SDCA is an, a form of cerebral ataxia you see in really young puppies. Um, so it unfortunately kills the puppy before they're 8 to 10 weeks old. Um, it's a recessive genetic component gene. Um, so you do screen the breeding stock for that as well as to make sure you're not going to produce a double recessive and have puppies born with that mm-hmm. that problem. And that's a problem in the Malinois as well. So that'll, like I said, it'll kind of give the mom a dizziness, lack of cryoperception, so lack of awareness of where their body is, and then they'll eventually die of convulsions or something. It's a pretty terrible thing, but it does only affect the breeder. But definitely screen that, embark uh, screens for that now so you could just you know, test the, test the breeding stock for that to make sure you're not doubling up. Uh, and the other thing that you really want to watch for, oh, I guess there's the, well, the other thing I really look for is the spondylosis in the back. So you can check that when you get your hips and x-rays, uh, hips and elbows done, but a lot of working dogs, a lot of Malinois, a lot of German Shepherds and Turburin, they'll get that spondylosis in the lower back. That's the bridging of the vertebrae. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure you're not breeding a dog that carries that genetically. And that's one of the things that it's a little harder to screen for because it may not show up until later in the dog's life. But it's really, I I see it almost, I want to say, affecting more dogs, more working dogs than like hip and elbow issues, Mm -hmm. the back issues. So the back is a really critical component too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, other issues that you want to look for is panis, which is that eye issue that shows up in middle age where the, the cornea kind of becomes opaque with time. Uh, so you screen for that um, if you need to. If breeding stock are clear, you usually don't need to worry about it too much. Um, and then, of course, seizure, any any seizure activity in the lines you want to be aware of. So, And again, I don't see much of that in most of the lines I'm interested in breeding, but you do want to be aware of what's, if there is an issue with anyone in the pedigree or in the you know, any relatives because seizure issues are no fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right now I just feed a high-quality kibble, um, which works well. So I've been feeding that for a while. I know a lot of breeders do feed the raw. And if I had the ability to easily (laughs) make that happen, I would. But I think the safest way to go, unless you have a lot of time and money to put into it, is that quality kibble diet. So that's what I'm feeding right now. And it works out well. They're very healthy. Oh, that's a tough one. There's so many out there that interest me. Yeah, give your top three. All right. So one of them would have to be the Leonberger. 
Okay, yeah. I've had a few of them, but I've never handled one. And of course, they have the same markings as Malinois, and they're just these big, cool, giant, you know, giant breed dogs I've always kind of been attracted to. It's definitely Leonberger is up there. Um, another breed I really like to see is anything in kind of a whippet to the like Saluki category. Uh-huh. So those sighthounds. Mm-hmm. So Salukis are, well, they have the long coats. They're, they're kind of, they'd probably be the one I'd choose, but a Saluki just, just their, their build and their look and their, they're just a very cool dog. I've known one, but I've never handled one. You know, the only other dog I'd be interested in is, is because I am a ski drawer and this isn't a purebred, but there's something called the European Grayster. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like a pointer mixed with the Greyhound and, and sometimes some Alaskan Husky. So they're bred to be really great ski drawer race dogs. Mm-hmm. That would be a dog I'd consider at some point if I really wanted to be a top ski drawer racer. They're pretty cool looking dogs. Nice dog. I had to get a small dog. So the Papillon, is it Papillon? Am yeah. I pronouncing that right? Uh-huh. They are adorable. Yeah. And they're pretty good agility dogs. So I like those little guys. Yeah. They're pretty cute. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not like the Terriers, which are like, I'll do my own thing. I mean, cute as they are, but yeah. And they're also really, I mean, they're cute little dogs. So. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you for your time. All right, All right you too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Out of the ashes, we will rise. revenge of those we On the rough flags, we keep on fighting. See a phoenix rise